Hey, Jamie. Welcome back, Keith. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, I looked to see when our previous season was, uh, and apparently season two, episode 11, was in July of last year. So we took a quite extended hiatus. Dang, that is... Yeah, I think we, we talked about coming back in October. Something like that. Yeah, and life kind of got in the way a little bit on both our ends. What, what's been going on with you in the, in the non-chronic world? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess since the last time we recorded a podcast, my wife and I, well, she is pregnant and we're going to have a baby, which would, uh, we found out sometime in July of last year. So yeah, it would have been literally after we had recorded that episode, I think. And yeah, so it's just been a lot of prep stuff for that. And first season with a baby. Yes. First. Well, she's not here yet, but she will be here, uh, any week at this point. So it's, going to be a little bit weird this is an odd time to start a podcast when i'm gonna be like oh dude i'm too too tired to do this i can't i can't podcast right now uh, but yeah it's a uh, it's been going and we also moved into our house we, so we built a house last year we moved into the, that house in july so a lot of things have changed for me outside of this uh you know just chronic stuff in the last few months so it's been a big Big change for us, and then still working at Linux Academy, creating uh, cool courses on things. Been doing a lot of Python recently, uh, and then did some Go prior to that, and have been working with a lot of Ruby stuff also in the the last eight or nine months. So it's been good. Well, congrats on all all the uh, life stuff, man. Thank you. Yeah, we're very excited, and it's uh, a little bit scary, but yeah spent most of yesterday putting together a crib and other things for the baby's room. And now we're just really getting things around. You're about to have a lot less time, my friend. Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> that's what I hear from everybody. Thankfully, I'm, this is one of the like really great perks I have working at Linux Academy is that I have eight weeks of paternity leave. So oh, nice. Yeah, when she's born, I actually get to take a couple months and not have to try to juggle the the full-time job and being supportive to my wife and just getting to spend time with my daughter. So, I've never had paternity leave and never will. Actually. Yeah, that's the the burden of, you know, owning your own business and being a consultant. Well, yeah, and not giving yourself that uh more than 3 days off, but also having a wonderful wife that can deal with all that. Yeah. Yeah. I, Kendra gets 16 weeks of maternity leave. That's awesome. That's like, it's it crazy. She gets so much time off. I mean, yeah, in the U.S., that's like a staggering amount. And then you see some other countries and there'd just be like far, far more time involved. Like you, I think some European countries, you basically just get to take a year off when you have a child. Yeah. Well, it's hard to like find like, you know, places to watch your kid that A, you trust. I mean, you have like a brand new four month old kid, you know, in most mm-hmm. cases it's two months old, you know? Yeah. And so, like, trying to find a place that you trust that will take children that young, because uh, they're a lot of work. So, like, a lot of places, like, have a lot of other kids around and babies. So, mm-hmm. it's tough, man. So, the more you can get off, the more easier that is. Yeah, so we're uh, we're pretty jazzed. How have things been going outside of Chronic for you? Good. Kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. I think last time we talked... I was starting like a, a secret project I couldn't talk about. Yes, I believe so. And then we never exposed it. Yeah, it was. Uh, so I started a uh, software, like a, a true agency, like three other of my friends. Um, 
because we've all been doing this kind of single entrepreneur solopreneur solopreneur is the word sorry this is a first time solopreneur no so we've all been doing this uh solopreneur type stuff and it's like you know we should just all join forces and that took a long time to like make sure we wanted to do it and kind of what we believed in make sure all our ducks were in a row and we started doing that and we did it for <laughs> I, we did it for six six or so months together and um various things happened uh, in terms of financial area stuff and i had to leave um just due to the fact i couldn't really weather the storm as long as they have um and that that just happened recently so i'm kind of back with being growing fantastic as a side gig for now it's kind of my my jobby job yeah i was like it's your main gig i don't know what you're talking about is my my main gig my my jobby job uh, and I've, I've got kind of like a renewed energy around it. Um, kind of pretty jazz. I've got a lot of ideas that I'm actually going to implement, um, so that I don't always have to be billable and, um, I can focus time, a lot more time on chronic and, and, uh, so right now I've set it up so that I have three weeks with a client, um, and then one week off, I actually have four days a week. So I, I, I usually take Fridays off to work on the business, whatever that business is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how I have it set up. So I have uh, four days on for three weeks and then the whole week off where I plan to work on uh, chronic throughout that, throughout that whole week. So pretty excited about that. Um, I also have some, some brilliant, fantastic uh, other things I'm going to do, uh, such as training and uh Nice. I'm going to start and a clothing, clothing line as well. So, I haven't heard that one before, but, you know. It's something I've always wanted to do. Um, and I've, I've kind of dabbled in it a bit. You know, I used to be a screen printer back in the day. Oh, I, I do remember it. you telling me about this. Like yeah. in college, you did screen printing, right? College and high school, and I just loved it. Um, and I have an obsession with T-shirts and hats. So, uh, Truth. Yeah, truth. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm just kind of really jazzed and really pumped about it. I'm working on a new new site right now using Gatsby. So that's been fun. So I'm going to have a blog post about kind of what happened with Kinship. But Kinship is still around. I just had to leave uh, just due to financial issues. So it's it's a lot. I get props, man, to like these agencies. It's really, really hard. Um, you know, agencies that I've worked with in the past, like really closely, like Test Double and and headway and one design like these these people have figured it out and figured out i'm sure if you ask them they haven't figured everything out but they've figured out the basics and the basics are really really hard yeah they have a good working model that has probably been a little bit difficult to get to i'm sure mm-hmm. like they're yeah. i'm sure none of them got there without some amount of struggles sure but yeah once just seeing it in action you're like this is pretty cool the fact that this works at all but i think that's i mean that's how business is in general you're just like the fact that the lights are on right now is kind of amazing right and there's something about doing it by yourself that i think makes it a little different in a sense right because there's the if you think you need to make more money kind of thing you can always inevitably just put in more hours like Mm -hmm. it's sort of that Mm -hmm. there's that weird sort of thing like the give and take you can just screw your work-life balance for a little bit Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it gets different when there's that whole other people depending on certain actions that you're taking and going from there. Yeah. I'm really like, I'm really good at that. Like I'm, I've been doing that for like, I don't know, 13 years now, 12 years. 
and I've like never had not had client uh, a play a time when I didn't have client work that I didn't need or want. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, and I have repeatable clients. Um, it's kind of funny. I have went through kind of two stints of this and kind of given up my whole clientele to some other company. And now I'm like rebuilding it. Like this is like my third time rebuilding it. So yeah, that's not the general tactic. Right. Right. And I've been able to do so like in a week. So it was kind of like, it's just made me more passionate about, about doing it again. And, um, and I'm going to have a blog post about, I'm still kind of trying to figure out exactly what went wrong. I, I do know kind of three little areas where we kind of screwed up. Um, but I'll have a blog post about that. And okay. Yeah. I think people would probably enjoy a little bit of a postmortem because I mean, we like to talk about technical stuff a lot because we're both technical nerds, but at the end of the day, a lot of this technical stuff really wouldn't be very important if it didn't provide us a way to provide for our families. So the, the business side is something that's pretty interesting to listen to. Yeah. At least for yeah, me. And I, and I, I want to start talking about like failures I've had. And this is up there with one of my, one of my big failures I've had. So mm-hmm. I'll be open and honest about it. So hopefully people yeah. can learn from it. We haven't really scripted out what we're going to talk about, but I love the idea of talking about failures as a thing because yeah. in the various jobs I've worked in, that was one area that I fail a lot. Like I'm pretty open about the fact that like I make mistakes all the time and I just own it and I learn from it. And that, I mean, that's how you get better. You mm-hmm. know, nobody is ever like perfect at everything that they do the first time around. It's like, no, you have to suck at it so that you can learn to suck less every day and then eventually be halfway decent at something. And a lot of people are really scared of that as a thing. Like I distinctly remember um, when I was starting at Square Mouth, I we were doing our stand up one day and I was like, yeah, I'm going to spend some time today working with the ops guys because I suck at chef and I don't understand how that stuff works. So I want to figure that out so I don't screw anything up. And one of the guys sent me a message uh, that was basically like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I can't believe that you admitted that you didn't know something in stand up. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it's going to look real stupid if I show you that I don't know something later on. And when you thought I did, so I might as well admit it and go from there. Yeah, that's kind of a sign of not the best culture, but yeah. Yeah, well, that that wasn't a culture thing. That was just a person thing. Like it's, oh, okay. you know, that was just, well, just a lot surprising. of people are afraid, right? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I get it. I mean, I'm afraid too, but you know. Um, at some point, I think when you get older and stuff like that, it's just run out of fucks to give. And as long as you keep going and I'm going to have to go find the bell again. Oh, sorry about that. I'm I'm going to go find the buzzer. Ran out of ducks to give. That's right. Yeah. That's kind of what I've been up to is, um, a lot of trying to build a, a, an agency and failing at that, uh, me personally, and, um, kind of building back that up and kind of learning from what I learned from and make sure that, uh, cause that was a very stressful period as well. Just, mm-hmm. just, I was working my ass off trying to build something, um, around that also working on chronic and trying not to let it uh, affect the work that I do on chronic. And so it was a lot of hard, hard work, but, um, I kind of set myself up for the next, uh, few months anyway of, of kind of getting a lot of work, being able to do a lot of work on chronic. Nice. Which kind of brings us to where we are with chronic. Yeah. So we've, we've kind of come up with like four kind of milestones, which are just, you know, like basic. We have like an internal release we're trying to get to where like you and I can use the product. Mm-hmm. We both use Pomodoro's uh, techniques 
during well, day work. Ish. I use yes. I, I haven't actively used Pomodoro's in a long time because there's never been the app that scratched Chronic's itch. I did yes. used to have this like Rube Goldberg machine that would basically do the same thing, but it was very convoluted <laughs> and broke yeah. every time I would change one little thing. So Yeah, and I've I've I am the same way. Uh, I'll start my day off and then somewhere along the lines it it goes downhill and I'm I'm kind of bringing those lessons into future chronic features. But mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of have a, a, a goal of being able to use the application, whether it's, uh, you know, right now we have a Mac app, a web app, and an iOS app. Yep. Technically, we have an Android app too, but I, we haven't really paid attention to the Android yeah, side. Yeah, have yet. we ever run it on Android? No. I, have not, I don't we even have, have the, Android, uh, the Android simulator. Emulator? Simulator? One of those two. Whatever it's it is. It's an emulator, emulator, I think. Right, the emulator on my, I don't even have it installed, so... Uh, but we are planning on releasing to that. We just uh, we just haven't. It's, it's lower on our priority list. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the internal release. Then we have like an idea of an alpha release where we can share it with people, family and friends type of thing, where we uh, can get pretty good feedback. Um, they will give that to us type of people. And then we kind of want to open it wider and wider uh, to yep. other people in the beta release and then our final release. So... Uh, we wanted to start the season off when we got the internal release done. And I think we're about there. Um, uh, yeah, I think we're pretty close. The The main thing we're missing from an internal release, I think, is notifications. Well, I'm just thinking notifications would be in the in the alpha release. Oh, okay. Well, then, then yeah. no, we're pretty good. I actually just need to unbreak our continuous deployment after I switched our code hosting over. And mm-hmm. then the servers would deploy properly, which shouldn't take me too incredibly long, says every engineer ever. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to build a, I have to build an iOS release. So that's kind of the last thing is kind of a continuous deployment type of type of deal where we can, mm-hmm. we can uh, easily uh, cut releases on all these systems, which will help us kind of in our alpha release. So. Yeah, that'll be pretty nice. I'm considering building a homebrew tap for the Mac app. Too? Did I? I don't even oh, think nice. I told you about this, but no, no, but I we, love that. we had continuous deployment for an internal Mac app that me and another one of the guys at SquareMath had built, and we used a homebrew tap to like let people distribute it. It was so that you could get push notifications when your Jenkins jobs passed, which was kind of <laughs> ah, cool. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, used pusher behind the scenes. It was, it was pretty neat. But yeah, so we did uh, we did that, and I was like, man, this is really slick. But I have to figure out how to do that when I don't have a Mac Pro to just randomly run things on in the sky. So that's uh, <laughs> that's something I'm gonna have to look into. But yeah, that would be cool. That'd be cool. I think those are easier to do than you know the whole like email or or update through the app. Yeah, well, I'm still going to do the update through the app thing. Like, I want the app to be able to automatically update because not everybody uses Homebrew, right? Like, if we want to get the most traction out of this thing, then I'm going to need to have it sandboxed so that it can run in the Mac App Store. And then I'll do our own distribution channel, I'm sure, and package an auto-updater into that, too. Yeah. And for the – so we're using Swift um, for the Mac side and Xcode and all that. Um, And then for the iOS, we're actually using Expo and react native mm-hmm. um and we have kind of a single app for both the web app and for the ios app using react native web and react native we just have to do to deploy the expo app right now it's still contained with an expo i think at some point it will probably get ejected from expo um, as we kind of 
try to integrate with more advanced features of iOS uh, that we have plans for, especially around integrations and stuff. I don't know, maybe it will, but the the distribution with Expo is pretty easy. So it's only took a couple of hours, says every engineer ever. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, because as it works right now, kind of we've we've siloed the work in such a way like I've dabbled with building Mac apps for like a decade now, it seems like. And so I'm always screwing around in these things. So I just dove in and decided I wanted to work on the Mac app. And then since I've been doing that and needing to more or less relearn everything about it uh, because we didn't want to use um, Electron. So since we're not using Electron, I had to learn everything about doing Mac development again. So I've been kind of just burying myself in there and then coming out for air occasionally to work on the server. But And you've been handling all of the the web and the mobile version so it'll be it'll be kind of nice to be able to take a breather for a minute and be like, okay, here's where we're at. Let's reprioritize some features and maybe uh, try to unify our design across the two applications so we don't feel like we're so separate. Yeah. So I think that's for the next for the alpha release is kind of two major things um, mm-hmm. is design UI design, getting our like look and feel. We have somebody working on a logo. Uh, we have uh, kind of drawings of kind of uh, sketches of what we want certain areas of application to be like. And I'm taking those and I'm putting those in sketch and coming up with various different designs. Um, and then this design kind of includes a unique take on progress of a Pomodoro. And we can get into that later. But then that, the UI stuff, kind of merging that to make it uh, more cohesive throughout all the applications. And then I think notifications. And notifications I think are going to be a little... We want them to be smart. We don't want them to just woof all of our devices when stuff happens. Yeah, so nobody wants a woof. Yeah, right. So the, I'm kind of referring them as smart notifications um, so that we can get notifications when you get a break or, or when you um, when you have to go back to work and making sure you're getting those on the right devices at the right time. Yep, which and, will be interesting once we kind of dive into determining how smart we need to make those or what's yes, the best like metric exactly. for that to be intelligent. Because I think inevitably we're still going to get it wrong some percentage of the time based on the metrics that we have. Yeah, exactly. And then I think that at that point we'll be ready for like an alpha release. But yeah, I'm excited about that. Do we want to talk about uh, kind of what we've done besides uh, like where we're at with the internal release in terms of like API and server and all that. Oh yeah. If you, do you want to just pick a couple like technical spots and then we'll we'll dig into them? Sure. The first one would be like how we eliminated the need for um, Phoenix channels uh, on the client side. Do you want to give a little bit of uh, background as to why we went down this route? Yeah. So, you know, our other goal is to release an API, but, and we have kind of two types of API. We have a GraphQL API and we also have a real-time API that we serve over WebSockets. And you need that API to do most of the things in our application because our application uh, sends out tick events every second um, because the clients, all the clients do is really get the result of that API and paint that on the screen because we want to make our clients, um, you know, the Mac app, the iOS app, other apps that we plan on making, we want them to make them as dumb as possible and all the kind of hard stuff being done on the server side, and then events getting pushed over this WebSocket API. Well, in the beginning, we were using Phoenix channels for that. And 
Phoenix channels are really nice. You can get them up and running. And what they do is they, they allow kind of this abstraction layer across a WebSocket um, where clients need to join certain channels to get events around that topic, quote unquote topic. Mm-hmm. And there are clients, there are nice like JavaScript um, and Swift side clients um, that will kind of abstract this and make it easy for you to do. But if you look at just the API, what needs to happen for those channels to work, like there's special messages that get sent, like a PHX underscore join message gets sent uh, across a WebSocket, and then you get a reply back. And these are all kind of special events. So if, if, if we're trying to create an API that goes out to the world, if, and we're trying to describe what you have to do for that API to connect and get messages and all this, and we have this complicated, like, you have to send this PHX underscore blah, blah, blah. And people don't need to know that's built in Phoenix and Elixir and all that. Mm-hmm. So we want to simplify our, our API and just basically use a WebSocket, like WebSockets come out of the box and just send messages back and forth. And that's kind of what we strive to do. So in the beginning, we were using Phoenix channels, and then we kind of found a, a, a better way to, to implement those, uh, an easier way to make the API make a little more sense. Do you want me to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So yeah, we moved over to kind of going lower than Phoenix in Elixir land anyway. So we implemented a cowboy WebSocket handler. And then from that point, we were able to just work with uh, the WebSocket, WebSocket, wow, WebSocket and the uh, actual pattern matching is beautiful for WebSockets, right? We we know exactly the the shape of the message that's going to come in. If it doesn't match this, then go ahead and fail out and do something else. And that's worked really good for us to actually be able to describe exactly what we want every message that we receive and we send back out to the clients to look like. So we actually have full control over the API now. And interestingly, though, like there are things that Phoenix channels gave us that were really, really useful, like basically getting to group things together. So you can say client A, B and C are all listening to events for the same uh, workflow as we have them behind the scenes. And then you know, that was really nice that we could broadcast on that channel and not everybody else would get it. So if we had, you know, 17 different people working on a timer at the same time and three clients were connected to one, we didn't want to have to broadcast to all 17 of those. And it was really nice that we could actually utilize channels behind the scenes, even though we had a lower level API that we had exposed and we can still use that subscription stuff. And it made the implementation of actually broadcasting the events to everybody who needs to know for anything within our workflows really succinct. I think it's like six lines of code or something like it's beautiful how it actually all comes together behind the scenes. So even though we didn't like the the public facing side of things when it came to working with uh, channels, we really just wanted raw web sockets. We still get to reap the benefits of all the work that went into that, which there's actually a lot of like really intense engineering that's gone into Phoenix channels. So I'm glad that we didn't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, there are some like reconnecting logic and stuff that happens with channels, which is really nice that we are going to probably have to re-implement on the server side. Um, So... It's not perfect right now, but the API is so much nicer. It's like leaps and bounds nicer as far as like a client wanting to do stuff with our API. So that's one thing that we did. Is there anything else you want to talk about for that? Um, Not particularly. And then the other thing that we kind of did is initially we just kind of had these timer events in our API. 
So working with one single timer, you wanted to start a 25 minute timer and then it would stop at the end. And that's kind of basically where our API stopped. And we knew we wanted to have these workflows that we we're calling it, where it's basically a series of timers. So you can start your day up and say, hey, I want to do 12 Pomodoro-like sessions. So 25 minutes on, uh, five minutes off as a break, and then every third one, there's a longer break. You know, that's just kind of your standard Pomodoro, but Beak wouldn't set these up um, just as uh, however they want to work. So if they want to have like a deep work sessions where they have like two hour timers, stuff like that. And uh, so we kind of replaced those timer events and, and timer API with a workflow like logic where you could, it'll automatically go from one timer to the next timer to the next timer until it's done and send you events along the way uh, when this happens. So not only tick events, but like a workflow has completed and then you get these various uh, information about the current step that comes back. Uh, and then we also added the ability, uh, not in our clients right now, but in the API where you can start multiple types of Pomodoro uh, sessions. Um, so if you want to have a Pomodoro session and another type of session, uh, you can do that. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, the other big change that we've made to our API. Have we ever actually talked about workflows as a concept on the podcast? I kind of can't remember it. I don't remember. It's been, it's been so long. Yeah, I think we have because I feel like I, when I originally got a proof of concept, the idea of a workflow, I swear we would have recorded things after that. Like it wasn't after I was in this house. I remember doing it in the old apartment. But yeah, it was, I think, a really interesting adventure going into this since we had originally just been like, well, what happens if we just unify our timers by running them on a server somewhere? And at that point, we had implemented uh, our system timer module inside and managed to turn timers into processes that we could communicate in and out of. And then it's kind of like taking the MVP approach, right? Where you're like, if you want to have a working application at all times, you build it up over time. So it's like you start with a, you know, a skateboard and then you build a bicycle and then you have a moped and then going on from there and how we were able to continually build on top of those things until we eventually got into what we have now with workflows, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, those are kind of the two biggest things that we did in there. And those, those took a long, at least on the web client, it took a long time to kind of move over to the WebSocket. Well, it wasn't even that. Uh, on the client, initially, we had two separate apps. We had one for the web and one for uh, mobile, and we kind of merged those two. So that was mm -hmm. kind of the biggest, the biggest change that I made on the client side. And then switching over from the, from the timer events to the web, to the workflow events were, were actually relatively easy. easy. Um, it's just kind of the initial state that, that made a, made a bit of a, of an issue, but that would have, that would have happened even if we would have stuck with timer events. So yeah, it would have never been a big difference there. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe next time we sit down to talk about stuff, we should talk about the adventure that was switching over from that, like really crappy react native app that I like threw together to just be like, I think I can get it on screen to like, when you're like, okay, we need this to be maintainable and we don't want to duplicate all this work. So moving it over to what we have now being with the react native web and uh, really getting to leverage the work that you do at any given point and both sides uh, pretty effectively is really nice. And I think it's a, it's a fun little thing to look into because I would imagine most people don't really realize you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of silly. Like 
re redoing the same work for, you know, I'm building a timer face component over here and I have to build a timer face component over, over on the, on the react native side. And then we're thinking, well, let's just share the redux type of stuff. So the state, um, the state management and the global state of the application, like where's the timer at right now, uh, mm -hmm. who's currently logged in, all that kind of stuff and how different components get their messaging from the WebSocket. We're thinking about just keeping that the same across both these apps. And with React Native Web, we're able to kind of uh, combine those even more. And you can even have a component, the same component, but if you if your extension is .web or .native or .ios, it will render down at, at build time for that given platform that you're on, that you're running against. So that's really nice. It's pretty slick to see in action. Cool. So that's kind of the state of where we're at. So I think this week we're going to be working on deployments. Uh, I'm going to be working on design a little bit. What are your goals this week? Yeah, I'm going to be entirely focused on the deployment side of things. So that includes getting the whatever sort of continuous deployment stuff we have for the Mac app up and running. And while I'm doing that, I'll have to do a lot of the things that it'll take for us to distribute a iOS app anyway. So it's probably be like re-upping an Apple developer account and working on some of those things too. Right. So yeah, so do that. And then I need to patch up the, and probably upgrade some stuff in the backend. So for the actual server, probably upgrade to a newer version of Phoenix, assuming it's not going to break anything. I'm always the kind of masochist that likes to do those little upgrade tasks and then uh, I managed to use delivery, which was, um, it's kind of a, or is it delivery? Am I thinking the right thing? Distillery. There we go. To do oh, our deployments on that, to build, because we have to build hot swapping modules, which gets a little bit weird inside of Elixir. And it's one of the things that people kind of tout as being really complicated, but the tooling has gotten a lot better and it's really not that bad. But when I had built ours, it was like two weeks before Distillery 2.0 was going to come out and improve a bunch of stuff and get rid of a lot of the things that I had already done. So yeah. I'm going to move us over to that. Those are kind of my goals. Yeah, and uh, we haven't really taken advantage of that hot swapping code yet. Um, the goal would be, you know, we could deploy code whenever and nobody loses the state of their timers. Um, so we, we do plan on implementing that. We're just not really taking advantage of it yet. Oh, it's already done. But I mean, if you deploy, all those processes go away, right? No, they don't. No, that's the whole well, point. Like, What happens if you're... Um, if we have to make some change to, to state and things like that. Ah, see, that's the thing. This is, this is how this should be a talk for a different time. We'll talk about how you can yeah. do a hot code reloading, but you can manipulate sure, you that can too. Do that. Right. You can, but we're just not doing that. No, cause we don't need to. The state inside the right. modules has not changed. Right. But there's no, there's no, we don't have any architecture to kind of store that off into some stateful thing and then, and then hydrate it back uh, when the new code reloads and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We yeah, uh, we don't need to yet, but there will be a time when we we will need to do that. I'm predicting the future. Okay, well, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. So we want to do something uh, new this season and do kind of picks or like things that we found throughout the week or since the last recording um, of useful stuff, and we'll put links into the uh, show notes. And uh, the show notes are at standup.fm slash whatever. 
somewhere over there. Um, yeah, it's always the uh, episode number. So this will be S3E1. Right, right. Um, and uh, so do you have a pick this week you want to? Uh, yeah, so my my pick for this week, and because I'm a guy who likes entertainment a little bit too much, but I'm just going to go just play a game, like not a video game, play like a card game or something with somebody else. Just talk to people. It's it's really good for you, especially in the living in the Midwest. Uh, it really sucks to have the weather that we have a lot of times. Like it's a little bit, you know, uh, makes you susceptible to getting a little bit depressed or whatever. So go go to a game shop and grab a board game or uh, start playing like a trading card game or something and just, just play with people, you know, let yourself have some fun. Do you have like a specific game that you've been playing? Uh, So I play the Pokemon trading card game, but that's really nerdy to admit to the, uh, the wide open internet. You just did. You just did. And I I didn't know we just, we just went back to the early two thousands. Hey, it came out in 96. (laughs) Okay. Listen, Listen, I'm much older than you. So, um, Cool. Yeah, so our picks don't have to be, you know, all business. They can be, they can be play. But I do have a business, a business pick, uh, and my pick is React Native Web. So we'll put mm. that uh, that GitHub URL in in the show notes. But that helped us a ton. Uh, so I want to want to give some shout out to uh, to uh, helping people build apps for for both native and the web um, within the same code base. Yeah, that's so that awesome. That is one, such a funny project because at first glance you go, what? React <laughs> is already for the web. Why would I want to go to React Native and then go back? That sounds like a really bad idea, but that's just the naive look at it. Yes, yes. This this does truly help you build kind of a write-once type of application um, a lot easier than React Native by itself can. So, so cool. Uh, yeah, so we'll see everybody in two weeks, man. Sounds good. All right, talk to you later, Keith. Later.